This is Olympic champion Scott Hamilton. Yes, the real Scott Hamilton. And you're listening to the other Scott Hamilton show where you should be entertained, informed, and maybe even amused. Just don't expect any backflips. I mean, have you seen him skate? All right, we know who's going to be in the SEC championship game. We know who's going to be in the ACC championship game. We'll explore that later in the program. North Carolina going to play Clemson. I'm on the Drake May train. And I can't say who's going to be on my Heisman ballot because, again, the black helicopters will come circling around the Scott Hamilton Show headquarters. And, well, I won't be around no more. But he might be on my ballot. He's really good. He is really, really good. And uh, quarterback play in general in the ACC has been pretty underwhelming, though. Not quite what we expected. Some guys have elevated their games. Some guys have fallen flat. That'll be one of the topics we touch on with Mark Rick when he comes aboard at 205. But right now, I, I want to explore this situation in the SEC and specifically what happened in Fayetteville, Arkansas over the weekend. I saw snow. It looked real sunny, and the field looked fine, but apparently they put in a lot of work to get that field playable. And our guest, she was roaming those sidelines, does an excellent job for ESPN. It's our friend Katie George. Katie, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Scott? I'm I'm well, Katie. Are are you thawed out? How cold was it in Fayetteville? Yeah, when I was told that I was going to be going to Arkansas for the weekend, uh, and I checked the weather, I was not anticipating it to say 26 degrees at the start of Saturday morning. And when we got there, to the stadium there in Fayetteville, I was welcomed by snow and ice completely covered in the field at the stadium. And Sam Pittman had prayed for cold weather. He was hoping that that would be an added advantage for his team and hoping to upset LSU, who was coming to town. Uh, But I don't think he was anticipating snow and ice on the field. And so the grounds crew did a great job. You know, once the sun finally got over the stadium wall, it helps kind of melt and dissipate some of that ice. But the grounds crew originally, um, and I'm not a groundskeeper by any means, Scott, but tell me what you think of this. They actually sprayed water on it, thinking that maybe it would help break it up and melt it. Uh, but they said they didn't anticipate there being that much snow, so it actually backfired on them, as you can imagine, and it just refroze it. So then guys were having to go across the field and you know, kind of smash the ice and break it up with shovels, and they're shoveling it off to the sidelines, and then they got snowblowers, and they're blowing ice everywhere, and it was just uh, a really interesting scene, not something that you're really anticipating when you go to Arkansas. But uh, I think it definitely played a factor. Um, both offenses struggled. You know, Arkansas was without K.J. Jefferson, so you kind of anticipated that. But, you know, Jane Daniels is a Southern California kid that came from Arizona State, I and mean, he's used to warmer climates. LSU, of course, is warmer, too. Uh, so he, he told me pregame, it is what it is. I'm going to have to work through it. And obviously, we didn't see the LSU offense that we've seen the last couple of weeks um, in prolific style. But it's more of a defensive-oriented game for sure. Don't don't they have Walmart money out there where they can have one of those heaters <laughs> under the field? Yeah, it, it was interesting. Um, you know, both teams obviously have certain things on the sidelines. LSU's request. Uh, was pretty lengthy. They wanted the big, massive heaters on their sidelines, chicken broth, hot chocolate, coffee. Uh, Arkansas had the really rinky-dink smaller heaters because I think they feel like they're built for that uh, and that they're kind of used to it. But 
yeah, the heaters underneath the field is something that a lot of stadiums and grounds crews should start to think about if uh, if snow is a possibility. But Arkansas last season, you know, hadn't gotten a single day of snow in Fayetteville. Uh, so this is a first for a long time for some of those fans and players. Okay, so that, that leads me to two points. Well, one point, then one question. I... I was never one of those guys when I played. I was never one of those guys that, oh, man, I'm going to wear short sleeves. It's 20 degrees in no. Richmond, Kentucky, man. But uh-uh. you know what? I don't care. I'm I'm a man. No, no. I'm out there <laughs> like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. I have, I've got everything on. I want to stay warm. Shame on Arkansas for trying to prove the hell we're men. I don't care for that. But, but I'm wondering this. And, Katie, I've been accused of being a diva because anytime I go somewhere, <laughs> I pack like Talk Diana Ross. I do. I look like Lady Gaga, man. I bring so much stuff, even for an overnight. But I'm Katie George. I've I've got this game. I'm not expecting these kinds of conditions. Were you prepared, or did you have to have some stuff airlifted in, like Dumbo Drop, and there was like a package <laughs> at your door from an Amazon drone? No, I was more than prepared. Uh, remember, I moved to Milwaukee uh, back in 2018 to cover the Milwaukee Bucks as their sideline reporter for that season. And so I think when I arrived in August, uh, by September, I was buying a Canada Goose parka uh, because it was so dang cold. Those people are cut from a different cloth. And so I got a taste of that, uh, and I got all kinds of winter gear to, to weather that storm up there. And so I packed the big parka. I packed my snow boots, I packed the beanies, and I have heat, you know, the warmers for your hands and your feet. And it's funny because I, I talked to Brian Kelly pregame and kind of made a joke of it. I mean, you know this, all off season when the hire was made, people were saying, is this the right culture fit? I mean, he's a Massachusetts man going down to the bayou. You know, you know how the northerner going to fare in the south and all this stuff. And so I kind of poked fun at, you know, the off season talk of, Again, a Massachusetts man who also spent so many years in South Bend where it's dreary and very, very cold, now prepping his team for cold weather, climate that he's more than used to. He was making fun of me, actually. He was like, that is too big of a coat. You don't need gloves. You don't need that hat. You're going to change. By the time the sun comes out, you're going to be so hot. And It didn't quite play out like that because I'm like you, Scott. I, uh, I'm a little bit of a diva. I don't like being cold. Yeah. Even in Kentucky when it gets cold, I hate it. Um, but I did switch up the jacket midway through because it did get a little bit warmer. But it was still pretty frigid for both teams out there. We're joined by Katie George. Follow her on Twitter at Katie underscore George 5 Katie, you touched on something that's a pet peeve of mine. People talk about culture and they talk about fit. And to a certain extent, that's true. But it also really only mm-hmm. applies to what happens inside the locker room. I mean, I don't care sure. if Brian Kelly has a fake accent. I don't care if Brian Kelly doesn't know John Balea from Clam Chowder. I, I don't care. But his <laughs> well, his job is to come in and fix the culture, or you don't hire the guy to begin with. I don't care. I don't care. I'm so tired of hearing that. Oh, the culture, the culture. No, the culture is winning. If the guy wins games, I don't care what he does, how he talks, just keep winning. Uh- Absolutely. And you would think that more people would be uh, on board with that or in that line of thinking. And now LSU fans who maybe question the hire early on, which I don't think there are many. I mean, they do anything. They'd go to war for Brian Kelly with how quickly he's turned things around at LSU. And, you know, you mentioned that winning culture. He understands it better than anybody. You know, he took Notre Dame to the highest of its heights. Obviously, he didn't win a national championship there. Uh, but he felt like he did the most with the recruits that you can get. 
at Notre Dame. Um, and then he, he saw an opportunity to go to the SEC and to go down to LSU and you can recruit in your home state where there's just a plethora of talent. I mean, it's like shooting fish in a barrel with the level of talent that they have in that state. And so he had to implement, you know, the three pillars of coaching that he has, you know, kind of crafted over his, what, three-decade coaching career. I think he was 28 years old when he started at Grand Valley State. And, you know, the first is you got to you know, bring in people that can communicate and develop players at a high level. You have to turn the team into a player-led team that's based on accountability. And then from a coaching standpoint, you have to create a positive environment where you're demanding but never demeaning. He says those three rules, those three pillars, if you can implement that no matter the program, you're going to find success at some point. Now, when you take over a roster that's got a lot of talent already, they're just moving in all different types of directions, and you get the guys on the same page moving and fighting for the same cause, the same one goal, and following those pillars, you find success. And now LSU is a team that likely is going to move up into the top six, and they're on the outside looking in. They're going to play in Atlanta, and, who knows? Could they become the first two-loss team that we've seen in the CFP come January? Possibly. It's just been remarkable because you know, we feel like we're like the LSU-specific crew this season. That was the fifth time we've had them down at Fayetteville. So we've kind of seen them every step of the way, You know, losing on the extra point uh, to Florida State and New Orleans. We've kind of seen them you know, every other week at this point, and just the growth and the maturation of the team has been really, really impressive, and that's a credit to him. Katie, I'm wondering this, and by the way, we're joined by Katie George. Follow her on Twitter at Katie underscore George 05. Katie, sometimes a coach comes in, and he is who he is. His system is his system, Mm -hmm. and the players that are on the roster, they have to adapt to him. But then you have these times where you have a coach come in. I think of a Dave Clawson at Wake Forest. And he adapted his system to the players he inherited it, and then he gradually started shifting to what he wanted as he brought his own guys in. When we see LSU playing right now, and given how they've hit the portal and all that to restock that roster, are they playing Brian Kelly football right now? Is their offense the way Brian Kelly wants to run? Is the defense what Brian Kelly envisions when he takes over a program as far as schematics? I think the defense absolutely is what Matt House and Brian Kelly want and foresee. I mean, Harold Perkins uh, is an absolute beast. He's been so impressive to watch. I think that defense is playing extremely well and it's taken time, right? But they're playing great. And I think what people seem to forget is, you know, you have an off season to work together, but until you're actually out in live games, building trust, building chemistry, um, you're not really going to really settle in and start to improve drastically. You can do all the work you want in the off season, but until you're in live action, learning on the fly, I think that's when you see really great points of, of improvement. And so, I think LSU's defense is playing extremely well. The offense has been a work in progress, right? They went with Jaden Daniels because they weren't really sure about having two you know, freshmen at tackle on the offensive line. And so they knew that they were going to have to have a guy that was mobile and could get out and run. Jaden Daniels can certainly do that. But to excel in what Brian Kelly wants to do and what Mike Dimbrock wants to do offensively, is you've got to have a quarterback that can do both. He can't just be a runner. You clearly have talent in the wide receiver core. You've got a great tight end. Brian Kelly and Mike Denbrock, they always have an elite tight end in their offensive system to make this thing go. They're starting to get that in Mason Taylor, who obviously had multiple great plays uh, against Alabama a week ago. But I think we've seen this offense certainly and slowly kind of adapting to become the offense that Brian Kelly and Mike Denbrock have wanted to see um, over the course of the season. And that's because 
Jaden Daniels has improved drastically as a passer. And so now he's a quarterback that does both. And they've done such an excellent job, I think, developing him. You know, when he was coming out of, out of high school, he was a blue-chip recruit. Everybody had high hopes for him. It went okay. I mean, it went well in his freshman year, but then he kind of plateaued. They've really taken him and, and developed him and grown him. And he's become, obviously, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And that's a credit to his hard work, but a credit to the system and trusting the system. And that just takes time, right? Like, that takes rapport, that takes chemistry, that takes trust with your receivers. And we didn't see that, you know, weeks one, two, and three. And then finally, when they got to Florida, I think that was week five when we had him after the Tennessee loss, that offense clicked. Something changed. They had a player-only meeting where basically they said, you know, Jaden said to the team, I've got to start trusting you guys. I can't do this all on my own. I understand that. And I think then when he finally started trusting the guys to go make plays for him, he just kind of you know, let loose and played free. And the offense has been, for the most part, since that Florida game, incredible, uh, notwithstanding what happened in Fayetteville. But, you know, the mark of good teams, Scott, you got to be able to win in different ways. And they were led by their defense on Saturday against Arkansas. Katie, where are they shipping you this week? I'm going to Maryland for another cold one. Ohio State, uh, Maryland at 3.30 on ABC. <sighs> Two words, brown water. That will help you warm up. <laughs> Brown. There's always one waiting for me after the game. And I'm l- listen, my young Padawan. I'm going to give you some advice. Get the barrel strength more Please. bang for your buck. Okay, that sounds good. I'll be sure to tell him. She's Katie George, ESPN. Follow her on Twitter at Katie underscore George 5 Katie, you're the best. Appreciate your time. Safe travels. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. Have a great day. All righty, it's Katie George of ESPN. Joining us on the Saitama Hotline. Look, I, Brian Kelly, what he's done is incredible. I knew he would win games, but everything has worked out for him to win this division. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody saw that coming. But here we are. Nobody saw Alabama losing two games. Even though you could say they've lost two games on two plays by a total of four points. Nobody saw AM. Falling flat on its face as it has. Uh, but Brian Kelly's done what he needed to do, and he's put himself in this position to perhaps achieve something historic. I'm going to throw that out there. Two-loss team in a playoff would indeed be historic and might expedite might expedite that expansion to 12 teams. They're already trying. Maybe that will be what will push it over the top. Good stuff, Kenny George, ESPN. Scott Hamilton Show on ESPN Charleston. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a,